L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, I am talking to director David Silverman. He directed movies like The Simpsons Movie, Monsters, Inc., but we're going to talk all about The Simpsons and the 15th anniversary of The Simpsons Movie. In the movie review, I want to talk about Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which is available now to watch for free on Roku. And in the trailer park, it is Christmas time, like Halloween's over. We're going to talk about A Christmas Story Christmas. The continuation of one of the most beloved Christmas movies of all time. We have a lot to cover. Here we go. Let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. About to get into my conversation with director David Silverman. He is most known for his work on The Simpsons and directing The Simpsons movie, which came out 15 years ago in 2007. And you may think, well, what does a director do on an animated movie? Because normally the director is the one working with the actors on their performances. They're working with the director of photography to get the look and the feel of the movie. Well, he essentially does the same thing, but with these animated characters. So if you think of The Simpsons, what his job is to do is to make sure they look correct. All the movements make sense. And since they have a lot of different people drawing and animating the characters, he has to make sure as director that it all looks like one cohesive piece of material and like there was only one person doing the entire thing. So you can imagine how it goes from doing one episode to doing an entire movie like this. And that's what I want to talk to him about today. So let's talk to David Silverman, director of The Simpsons movie. David Silverman, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's an honor to get to talk to you. You're just so much of an influence on The Simpsons and the design and the look. And I'm a huge Simpsons fan. And we want to get into talking about the 15th anniversary of The Simpsons movie. 15 years. Wow. 15 years, yes. right? But as a kid, yeah. when did you fall in love with animation? Oh, I think when I was very young. I think by the time I was five, I knew what I wanted to do. 
and that was animation, believe it or not. I had been drawing ever since I can remember. I think most of us, our memories start around four, and I just remember drawing around that time and continuing to draw, being influenced by everything I was seeing on TV. But you see, the, 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 the comics page was also a big influence. By the way, this is leading up to final really big influence was Mad Magazine. As uh, I yeah. got older, when I say older, I mean, by the time I was seven, you know, uh, my dad had introduced me to Mad Magazine. My dad was very good at introducing me to things like that. So you fall in love with that <laughs> at a very young age. When do you realize that you have the talent to go on and turn this into a career? I think around the time I was doing cartoons, I was about nine years old and I was doing drawings and my parents were showing it to their adult friends who were laughing uproariously at what I was drawing. And I thought, well, maybe <laughs> I could do this professionally. <laughs> if, I, if I'm nine and I'm making my adult parents' friends laugh, maybe there's, there's something to this. I mean, that's uh, talent although, at a very young although, age. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I Look, I wasn't a drawing prodigy per se. I mean, I drew mm -hmm. funny. I don't know about incredibly. And then I think it all goes back to you just knowing how to draw funny at a very early age, because I think that's what they were looking for when they were starting The Simpsons back in the 80s. They needed just something that looked completely different on TV. The original drawings were just so unique. So how did you get that first job being the first one hired on to The Simpsons? Oh, well, uh, the first one, really the first one hired on in terms of the animation would be Wes Archer. And Wes, a brilliant uh, animation cartoonist, animator, director. He worked for this small company, I mean really small company, called Klasky Chupo, which is a name may ring a bell, but at the time it was very small. And they did occasional character commercials, character animation commercials, but they mostly did what was called mo motion graphics. Wes had worked, I guess, occasionally for them to do character animation. Wes and I met on One Crazy Summer, directed by Steve Holland, animation direction, by Bill Kopp, whom I had met, and I was he had me brought me on as an animator on that live action film with about ten minutes of animation, and I met Wes from there. Anyhow, after one crazy summer wrap, we worked from eighty five to eighty six, and I was thinking actually of focusing on illustration and putting the brakes on animation for a while because I just wanted to focus on my own personal style. But Wes got first Bill Kopp involved with. The Tracy Allman Show in the beginning of 87 because Klasky Chupo had gotten the contract to do the animation for The Simpsons, for Matt Groening's work. We just didn't know what's called The Simpsons. It was just like working with Matt Groening. And we loved Matt Groening's work. Life in Hell was one of our favorite underground comics. And just the style and the humor. And we thought, oh, that'd be fun to animate. And that's how the whole thing started. It was started in March of 87, and it was uh, Wes and Bill Kopp and myself as the three animators, animators starting on the Tracy Ullman shorts. We animated all 48 Tracy Ullman shorts between uh, 87 and the beginning of 89. And it was around that time we heard about the show becoming a series. Apparently, James L. Brooks says that I helped the grease the uh, skids to go into a, a series by <laughs> approaching him in a rather uh, uh, I had a few drinks under on my belt <laughs> and kind of, I remember saying something about I'm glad you're giving us an opportunity to do really adult animation on a primetime show because it was really kind of cool that was our animation there was no connection overseas just me and Wes and Bill animating and cleaning it up and timing it and doing everything. And it was, you know, painted by Georgie Pelusi, who gave them the dis distinctive yellow color. And uh, uh, by the way, you see how uh, Bart doesn't have a hairline? He's just a shape. I see that. That's why she made 
yellow because yellow worked as a skin and hair color for characters that had no hairline like Bart, Lisa, and Maggie. And, uh, you know, you don't want to destroy the graphic you know, integrity or the shape by adding a hairline. So her solution was, well, I can't make them the cartoon flash color, so I'll make them yellow. So that's the reason Boom. the Simpsons are yellow? I think that's that is, to my mind, the primary reason. That's amazing. Uh, I, I never asked her, asked her directly, but it makes the most sense because otherwise you'd have to do some... I mean, as I say, the car- traditional cartoon flesh color would not work for Bart, Lisa, and Maggie that well. They'd have flesh color skin and hair. <laughs> Yellow, you kind of buy them as, you know, light-skinned blondes or something. <laughs> Regardless of the case, in the beginning of May of 89, we started working on The Simpsons as a series. The first thing I did was I designed the main title sequence. Later, I went in and I started devising ways of how to draw the characters for new animators because we're the things were going like way off the rails we only had like a turnaround model sheet and i thought i gotta do some construction type drawings to demonstrate uh, how to sort of analyze a character and break it down and to, to draw it and then you know other people follow it follow through in that respect so in that way i think that i've, I've got credit for like you know helping to you know really solidify the designs down because i i guess I, when i was directing the first season with a, a lot of uh you know young animators and even experienced ones who weren't used to drawing in this kind of style. This was a new type of style. I would say the more, shall we say, seasoned animators um, that we worked with, they, there's the Hanna-Barbera style and the Disney style and the Warner Brothers style. But this was a Matt Groening style as interpreted by me and Wes Archer. And it was a different approach. Now it's very common that, you know, even after this happened, it became the norm that you'd have a creator driven project with you know a specific style to the uh, the creator artist if you will but back then it was it was totally new and you know and so that's when we we realized we got to start coming up with device ways for the people to analyze the characters so they can draw them properly and by properly the way that Wes and I were drawing them <laughs> so looking at yeah. the show now how long is a single episode of the simpsons take from when it's written to when it comes to you, like how does it come to you? Well, it comes to us as a generally speaking, it comes to us on a table read. That's the first time we get it. And I remember in the very beginning too, that was my first experience. There was a table read for Bart the Genius. That was the first show I direct. And I remember thinking, this is the funniest thing ever written for animation at the time. I just thought this was this is genius. So table read, it's about it's about nine months. Nine months it's for one episode. Time. There are a lot, but we have. You have we we it's meticulous. You have the table read, and then you have the storyboard process, and then notes on storyboard, and then we do an animatic process, and that's a number of weeks of doing all the drawings for the animatic. We used to lay out the entire show basically um, before we decided to story reel the entire show, <laughs> save a lot of time and money that way, and then comes you know the finished animation and timing it and then going out to our Korean studio, either ACOM or Rough Draft Korea. And they take like 10 weeks to animate, finish, f- fill in the mostly, and we, we actually do a lot of animation. We do all those key posing, uh, heavily key posed our shows. Uh, and, um, uh, but it takes them 10 weeks to finish it up and paint it. it used to be painted on cells, you know, and, uh, but now it's digitally painted, but still takes the same length of time. It's still time consuming. 
So you're uh, saying nine months for one episode, but you're working on several different episodes. I mean, the whole season. How in the world yeah. do you get an entire season well, done like that? All I can tell you, it takes a chunk of time. Yeah. And what it is, is like, okay, here's this timeline for, let's say, the first episode of the season, right? And then here's the next episode, and here's the next episode, and here's the next episode. So they're staggered, right? So uh, one director is working on this, and our second director is working on this with his, you know, animation team and so forth. And then we have, you know, we have designers that work on all the shows basically at all the times. So there's, imagine it, it's like with different moving trains, you know, but they're all a week apart. <laughs> and they leave the station, and then the film arrives here and then they come back on a weekly basis oh that's why we start in march so we start the process of storyboarding in march to make our times for the next you know for for the fall season uh and we have like seven episodes six to seven episodes for the previous schedule to sort of give us a head start onto the next season as as we went through in uh, uh season after season we started building up oh we have two additional episodes so that gives more of a a um a break to get to, you know, to allow the uh, the process to continue. And then it, then somehow, and I can't remember how we got it up to, but we had like, like six, what we called holdover episodes. So we do 22 episodes a year and like 17 is usually the last show that'll be broadcast uh, that year in May. And the following, you know, uh, six or seven episodes will be for the following season. And they'll head the beginning of the season and, you know, so forth and so on. It keeps rolling on, man. So looking now back at the movie, it's been 15 years since the Simpsons movie, which you directed the movie. How does that process begin of going from just, all right, we're going to make this one episode to making this full feature that's never been done before? People often ask us, why didn't you do another one? Well, the Simpsons movie damn new damn near killed us because okay. it's not like we had a, another team of people. We did expand a, to some extent, you know, for to do the movie, but we had a lot of the people that work on the show also working on the movie simultaneously. Now, some, some kind of like I had, I had four um, sequence directors. Two were not on the show uh, or well, they had been on the show. Rich Moore, Lauren McMullen had been on the show previously. Rich had been working um, on Futurama at the time, I think. Yeah, it's hard to like <laughs> put everything together. But in any event, and then we had two other who were working on the show, uh, Mike Anderson and uh, Steve Moore. And those, they were my four uh, sequence directors because we were, that was one way we got it done so fast is I had, I had, you know, I had field generals <laughs> because <laughs> there was, we had to do everything at once, all in a great big box. So I had to delegate quite a bit in that respect. But, uh, and still look and still make it look like it was dealt from one hand because you know it's a movie but we started the writing started i think they really got started in like 2003 and by 2005 there was a table read in the summer of 2005 and we really got it started storyboarding in 2006 we did it rather fast when you think about it because we started in the production in january of 2006 and we basically got it done under like 15 months you know which is pretty fast considering it's a feature and pretty fast because a lot of stuff we did was thrown out the window. <laughs> we had to start over on a lot of act one, but um, I don't know. I guess we all had, you know, um, they're all pretty seasoned people and we got other people uh, involved too. Uh, uh, this guy, uh, Steve Markowski, who did a great job. He was almost like a, like a fifth uh, uh, sequence director. He did a lot of great board work for me. I mean, that's how we got things done. We just kind of, 
plowed through it. And uh, we were still drawing on paper at the time. We hadn't gone digital, although I started um, working on Cintiq tablets, you know, the Wacom Cintiq tablet, where you take a stylus and you draw directly onto the screen. And that kind of got the attention of our um, uh, president, Gracie Films, uh, Richard Sakai. He's like, oh, this is the way to go. And I say, absolutely. This is the way, this is the way to go. We started boarding. We started buying Cintiqs for the, the board artists, which made things very much go faster because the the story was mercurial in many respects, and <laughs> things kept changing. Uh, particularly uh, uh, the character of Cargill. Originally, he was like this kind of kind of like a sad sack, you know, uh, head of the EPA who was like you know miserable because he was so was not respected. And then this thing happens in Springfield, and he's given all this power and resources. That storyline wasn't working because you know we were like we're doing Simpsons movie. It should be about the Simpsons, and we're concentrating this character we've never heard of before. Voiced by Albert Brooks, who's just like kind of a semi-regular on The Simpsons, but still not very entertaining. So that's when we kind of pitched that all out and said, okay, for a hot second, we actually thought Hank Scorpion would be the head of the EPA. And that was <laughs> then tossed out rather quickly. Uh, and Albert Brooks, actually, he was a, he was one of the people who said, that doesn't work for me. And, you know, Albert Brooks, though doing the voice, is also, you know, a very accomplished comic uh, uh, director. So his his instincts are worth listening to. But he basically did a Scorpio type of character, you know, an aggressive. It's as if Donald Rumsfeld ran the EPA, you know. And that was sort of like the, 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 uh, the idea behind it. So you're saying the first movie almost killed you guys. So should we not expect a sequel anytime, like ever in our lifetime? Oh, I think that I, 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 I never say never. You know, it's like one of these things that that will uh, that will that will happen uh, possibly. I can't go record saying it's going to happen, and it's not. I can't go record saying it's not going to happen because I can't go on record saying anything. Got it. <laughs> I can't give you no scoop because you know what? I don't know. <laughs> so I was rewatching the movie and. Obviously, you're able to do now in this movie things you couldn't do on TV. But I wonder, was there a meeting about how to draw Bart Simpson's wiener? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was a meeting of meeting about that, but uh, I, I sort of did it. Uh, I went for it tastefully. Enough so we would get away with it. You know, let's put it that way. And we were really, really, really worried that that was going to be a problem from the censors. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to do. We figured we could get away with it with European audiences, but we just did <laughs> not know how it was going to react. And to this day, I'm grateful for the the ratings board for apparently actually their rating was I think it was was it PG or PG thirteen? I think it rated PG thirteen for adult humor throughout. I think that was their rating, <laughs> which was like almost a mini review, which was very flattering to us. Yeah, it was it was a lot of work. Let's put it that way. It it was it was a lot of work, but I I remember at one point I was like, this is a lot of work, but hey, you wanted to do this, so let's let's enjoy it. So I did it throughout all the work and the and stressful times. I did enjoy myself, I think, and I think at the end of the day, everybody else, even though it was a lot of work, enjoyed themselves too. Certainly, we enjoyed the way it came out, and certainly enjoyed the way it was responded to. I think you worked on one of my favorite Simpsons episodes of all time, Summer of Four Foot Two. Yes. Well, I was I was supervising director at the time, so I, I didn't have as strong of a, a voice in it as you may think, but but do go on. <laughs> There's a scene wherever Homer is talking to Ned Flanders and he's like leaning up against the the fence and his hand is doing like this weird intricate motion. 
I wonder how, like, when you think of a like an animation like that, is it just so painful to do, even though it looks so simple? It depends. I mean, I think when we're doing something really um, inventive and interesting, uh, you just kind of get into it. You know, no matter how, never mind the, uh, how difficult it may be. But you know, that sort of reminds me of you know one of my favorite um, bits of animation is this one. This is, a, of course, uh, Homer skipping through the land of chocolate. This is yeah. something I did do. And um, and this is a cycle uh, from, fortunately, I was smart enough to Xerox these drawings. So I would always have, because <laughs> I was happy the way this came out. And when I got one about this, um, uh, Mark Kirkland was directing it, and I was supervising director at this point. Uh, at the third season, they made me supervising director and um mark said well we're having trouble with the, the layout is not coming out as funny as your storyboard i actually boarded the sequence because when i read the script i fell out of my chair laughing i think it's because just what i imagined in my head because it wasn't really on the page so it says homer skips uh, after chocolate bunnies that's all it said <laughs> and i guess this just popped into my head which made me laugh was it says a delirious so I started like doing the extremes of the, you know, the poses that I wanted to do. And then I thought, well, I think I'll do a breakdown. I think I'll do a breakdown of the breakdown and a break. You know what? I'm just going to animate the whole thing. So, so <laughs> I did. So I decided to animate the entire cycle just because I wanted to have this certain sort of like, I didn't know how to just do the extreme drawings and explain to the animator in Korea, how to in between it without doing it, you know, and I, Figured I just had time, like I would like tinker on it every now and then when I had a free moment. So looking at that animation now, how does that work into the entire episode? Do you just draw that and then somebody else, that's that's what gets shipped off? Yeah, they got shipped off. And also the bunny who's, who's skipping after, I also animated. So those segments, those two pieces of animation for the scene were entirely uh, uh, animated basically here. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the backgrounds were done, and then we were timing basically. What we would do is that in the exposure sheets, we would time put the drawings in where they get how they go, and you know, one after the other, and how the background pans behind it. So there you go. That was it. Well, this has been incredible to get an insight on how this animation stuff works and much it went into making the movie. Did you keep <laughs> anything from the movie? Like, I know there were so many like promo things that came out. There was maybe like a cell or something that you kept from the movie? So no, I don't, did not have a lot of art from the movie per se. And a lot of the art that I do have would actually be drawn digitally because at that point, at least for me on the movie, it was more efficient to draw on the Cintiq than to draw on the paper. Well, David, I really appreciate the time. I think if anybody wants to see more of your work, definitely follow you on, on Twitter at Tubatron. And I, I love all the little sketches you put up there and the behind the scenes stuff. Yes, and I think people know this. Some people who know my, my stuff have seen that this was a going to be the ending of the uh, Christmas special, but we decided not to. We decided to have this as an off-screen sort of thing as opposed to showing it. I think, uh, I think Jim Brooks said, eh, it's funny, but let's... Let's not go quite to that extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're hedging our bets back in 1989, you know? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right. Have a good one. Take care, everybody. Bye. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. 
Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Let's get into a movie review now. I want to talk about Weird, the Al Yankovic story. It's the new movie streaming on the Roku app, which if you don't know where that is, all you have to do is Google Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And that first thing that comes up in Google is the Roku website. So it's for free. Which is great, and I am a fan of Weird Al Yankovic's music. I didn't know what to expect while watching this movie going into it, and maybe I was completely blindsided, and why would I think that a movie about the greatest parody songwriter who has ever lived wouldn't be a parody movie about the music biopic genre. So I thought that was genius. This movie was so well written. I want to get into more about this movie. But before I do, here is just a little bit of the weird, the Al Yankovic story trailer. Who my little hungry one, hungry one, open up a package of my banana. Dude, I've got chills. Every once in a great while, I can spot a talent that I know is the future of music. But first, we gotta find you a stage name. Al Yankovic. It's long, it's hard to pronounce. So I'm just gonna throw this out there. Weird Al Yankovic. I love it. So the movie stars Daniel Radcliffe, who is most famous for playing Harry Potter. But he's done so many great movies since. One of my favorites of his is Swiss Army Man. So I really feel like in the last decade since Harry Potter, he has reinvented himself. But I just think when you go into a movie like this, people are always like, oh, it's the Harry Potter guy. But I think he was a perfect person to play Weird Al Yankovic because with the costume, he resembles him a lot and he's just a great actor. So why not get one of the best actors to play Weird Al? But the funny thing about this movie is that it pokes fun at all of the tropes that come along with music biopics, the tropes that I often point out when I go see a movie like Elvis, Bohemian Rhapsody, and all those little things they put in to make those movies seem a little bit more flashy and a little bit more extra than maybe their actual life actually was. You have to make a movie, you have to make it more cinematic, so there's always these little embellishments they do 
whether it's like their quick rise to fame, how big a certain song was and how much an artist took the world by storm. And this movie pokes fun at that. It pokes fun at the quick rise to fame. It pokes fun at the record executives telling Weird Al that he would never make it. And it does a funny job at rewriting history when it comes to the life of Weird Al. So I don't know why I didn't expect that one of the most famous parody writers of all time, if not the most famous, wouldn't do a music biopic parody, which I think historically now, even most recently talking about different genres of movies, I felt like the parody movie was kind of dead. I think historically, when you look back at some of the greats like Airplane and Spaceballs, for me personally, I think because of when I grew up, Scary Movie 1 and Scary Movie 2 are my favorite parody movies, but it's a really hard thing to do. But I think this movie was so well written and it all actually works together, but you have to go into it knowing that, that the movie is poking fun at the music biopic genre. So if, like me, you are a fan of movies like The Dewey Cox Story or pop star Never Stop Never Stopping, those are probably the most recent ones that have done it well. And I think this one's right up there with that. And I actually may even like this one more than both of those combined because there was actually a really solid story at the foundation of this entire movie. Because what this movie is about is Weird Al and his relationship with his father. His father did not want him to do music and they poke fun out of it a lot because, you know, he starts out playing the accordion and listening to polka music and that's what his dad is not wanting him to do. And then he goes on to achieve success, sell a bunch of albums, but it all kind of comes back to that relationship with his father and going back to him just trying to make his parents proud. So at the core of it, even though as ridiculous as this movie goes on to become, it is telling that relationship. And maybe it's the only thing that's actually true out of this entire movie. I guess I was kind of expecting to learn a little bit more about his life. But at the end of it, I just wanted to watch a funny, entertaining movie. And that's what I got. I really enjoyed the whole plot line that came with him meeting Madonna and their relationship in this movie. I thought that whole thing was pretty funny. Doesn't look like there's any truth to that. So I think on service level, you could watch this and think this is a pretty dumb movie, but it's also just a lot of fun and enjoyable, especially if you're a fan of Weird Al Yankovic's music and want to see a different side of Daniel Radcliffe. And there's also just a lot of fun cameos, Rain Wilson, Jack Black, just a bunch of funny people that also make this movie work. And... It's available for free, so I know when they came out saying that it's on Roku channel, you think, where do I even find this movie? If you just Google Weird, the Al Yankovic story, the first thing that comes up in Google is the Roku website, so you just click it and you can watch it there on your computer. If you have the Roku app on your Amazon Fire Stick, or if you have the actual Roku device, you can watch it there for free too. I kind of like that, just being able to watch it on an app's website and not have to subscribe to a different kind of streaming service. So I think this is a pretty big get for them to go over to Roku channel. I don't think I've ever went over there to watch a movie. So if I had to rate this movie, I would give it four out of five Hawaiian shirts. It's exactly what I needed right now. Something fun, something mindless, and something to remind me that you can still make a good parody movie. 
LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. As soon as November hits, I think we all went full-blown Christmas. So we are all getting ready for Christmas movies, Christmas music. And the Christmas movie I am most excited about just put out their trailer. It is a Christmas story Christmas, which is a continuation of the original Christmas story. And I think this one may actually do the film justice. And just by watching this trailer, it gave me that warm feeling seeing all of at least most of the original cast come back. I'm excited for this one. So before we talk about A Christmas Story Christmas, here's just a little bit of the trailer from the movie that's coming out on November 17th on HBO Max. Oh, life moves fast. One day you're playing kick the can with kids named Flick and Schwartz. I triple dog dare you! The next thing you know, you're a certified adult. Ralph, dear old man. Fragile. He was the best. Ralphie, promise me we're going to make this a wonderful Christmas. That would make your father so happy. I promise. What had I done? And now it was all up to me? I suggest you start drinking and don't stop till New Year's. So A Christmas Story Christmas takes place about 30 years after the original. The original one took place in 1940. So this one is set around the 1970s. And now Ralphie is older he has kids of his own and as you heard in that trailer his father has passed away so he goes home to his childhood home in cleveland to try to give his kids that same kind of magical christmas that he had growing up and a lot of the original cast is back ralphie his brother randy flick schwartz his mom the bully they are all back in this movie and i think that is a big deal when it comes to making a sequel especially when you're banking on nostalgia now This isn't a direct sequel because they did come out with A Christmas Story 2 back in 2012, but 
didn't have any of the original cast and that movie took place five years after the original one so it really wasn't very good so let's all forget about a christmas story 2 and look to a christmas story christmas and what i like about what i'm seeing in this movie is it looks and feels very warm this movie feels like christmas and i think that's what the original movie did it's a movie that just lives embedded in my head we know all the scenes we know all the lines and it really, to me, doesn't feel like Christmas unless I watch A Christmas Story. I would probably rank it as my second Christmas movie of all time. I still think Elf is right up there at number one, but you can't deny A Christmas Story. And why I'm excited about this movie and looking forward to seeing it is I want to see all of the original cast come back. And even though they are probably doing a lot of the same things that they did in the original one, but now with Ralphie's kids, I'm okay with it when it comes to a Christmas movie. I like a little cheesiness in my Christmas movie. I just want something that's going to make me feel warm and fuzzy. And I think that's what this movie is going to do. In the trailer, there are references to him being shoved down the slide by Santa, the triple dog dare. I'm sure they'll bring back the licking of the pole. So it might be all of the old tricks again. And normally I get too overcritical and analytical about that, but it's a Christmas movie. And I also think it kind of hits you on that emotional level, knowing that it's taking place after his father has passed away and how big of a character he was in the original movie. So maybe there's a little bit of an emotional level that the first one didn't get to that you can achieve now. So I think this movie looks like a lot of fun and it's coming out on HBO Max streaming for free on November 17th. Interesting thing that they wouldn't put this movie out in theaters. I feel like bringing back a Christmas story would crush at the box office because I think this is one that would be fun to take the whole family to. I think one of the best feelings is going to the movies around Christmas time. There's just something special about the entire world slowing down, especially in those days leading up to Christmas where we're not really getting a whole lot of work done. The entire country feels like it's kind of slowed down. I think that is the perfect time to go to the theater and watch a movie like this. So I think we will miss out on that a little bit this holiday season. But as more movies just move to the streaming only, that is the world we live in. And again, that's coming out on November 17th on HBO Max. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. Before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. Hey, how do you get a listener shout out on the podcast? All you have to do is tweet me at Mike Distro, send me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com, or comment over on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Mike Distro. And this week, it is from at Craig Wig on Twitter, who tweeted me about my Black Adam review and said, one of the few times I got to disagree with you. We thought it wasn't that bad of a movie. The action kept up pretty much throughout the entire thing, and I would rate it a 3.5 or maybe a 4. Appreciate the feedback there, Craig. And I love that we don't have to agree on our interpretations and our feelings about a movie. Anything when it comes to art is subjective. So I like to create this open discussion of if you think I rated something a little bit too high or think I rated something a little bit too low, let me know your true feelings on the movies. I just like to know what you guys think about this stuff too. So I appreciate that, Craig. And thanks to everybody for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did doing it. And I'm a huge Simpsons fan, so I found that stuff fascinating. I hope you did too. And if you want to comment with the secret emoji on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, I do this every time I do an interview to let me know if you enjoyed it. 
The secret emoji for the David Silverman interview will be the pencil emoji. So comment with the pencil emoji on the video and I'll pick one of those to shout out on next week's listener shout out. And until next time, go out and watch good movies and I will talk to you later. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.